Let me invite you to open up to the book of Colossians chapter 3, and this morning we are going to focus our attention on verses 12 through 17. As you find your place there, let me just say a quick word of thank you for those of you that uh, were able to be present this past Thursday as we celebrated Brian Fitzgerald's life, all of the well wishes and the cards and the affirmations to the family I know are deeply appreciated. I also want to uh, just let you know, in case you didn't know, it's been a busy weekend in the life of our church uh, as our Students have had uh, are completing their Disciple Now weekend, and so uh, here in about 30 minutes, you're going to see a bunch of glazed-over-looking uh, adults and college students. Uh, I think my son, when I asked him yesterday uh, what time they uh, went to bed on Friday night and what time they intended to go to bed uh, last night, uh, he mumbled the words uh, three or four in the morning. And so uh, we are definitely going to be having a Sunday afternoon nap in the Erickson household today. I'll bet. Um, If you have found your place, uh, would you follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 12, a verse that we looked at several weeks ago, but I'll remind us of it this morning where God's word says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has also forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching and the reading of your word. Father, that you would change us to be conformed into the image of your son more this morning as we humble ourselves before you and in your presence. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. Each morning, I uh, embark on an exercise uh, with my kids as we drive to school, and I fill my my coffee cup up uh, with coffee, and I get in the car, and I attempt to drive 15 or 16 miles. And the game is, is how much of the coffee can we not spill as we take the kids to school? My wife always looks at me and she says, why don't you use a a Yeti cup or a tumbler or something like that? I I just like drinking it out of a coffee mug and uh, and it makes the morning drive a little bit more interesting. (laughs) As the coffee sloshes around, uh, I'm reminded in those moments that that my cup is is full, that it's whole, and that there's something in there of, of substance. You know, for the Christian, our life and our job is to be full. We are to bleed and we are to sweat the fullness of Jesus. We are to overflow with his presence in our life. As we talk to our neighbors, as we speak to our coworkers, as we love on our family, as we serve one another, we ought to be full of the wholeness and the fullness that comes with being an individual that walks passionately after Christ. One pastor put it this way, that the surest sign that you're carrying a full bucket is that you have wet feet. And we know that when we carry a full bucket, our feet get a little bit wet. We overflow as Christians and as believers with the goodness and with the wholeness of Christ. And I want to bring to our attention this morning in verse, eight, verse 15, 
after Paul admonishes the church, he reminds them in verse 12 of who they are. He, he tells them, this is the way in which you are to act. You are holy and beloved. You are to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and patience. You are to bear with one another. You are to forgive one another. And though as you do those things, as you walk in patterns and rhythms of forgiveness, as you put on the humility that he gives, he says in verse 15, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. The peace of Jesus that he gives, or Christ in particular, is it's different from any other kind of peace that the Christian can seek. You see, Christ gives us uniquely as believers in him, he gives us a special kind of peace. It's not just the peace that we get in the absence of turmoil. It's not just the peace that we get when, when trouble has not found its way to our doorsteps. No, it's a promise that he gives us his personal peace. He gives us, the believer, his presence in our life. And it is a completely different kind of peace than the world has. The peace of Christ that rules in the heart of the believer it's a sense of wholeness. It's a sense of well-being. It's a sense of totality and, and completeness to let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. That word rule there was rightly identified by one of the late great New Testament scholars, F.F. F. Bruce, who just simply said it means to arbitrate. It means to, to reign over like an umpire would in a, in a game or a referee would in a game. Interestingly, uh, just this yesterday, I had an encounter with a, with a referee in a football game. And he just so happened to be uh, one of the deacons here at Travis. And he was the head referee of my son's varsity football game. And I yelled all kinds of words at him. And I chastised him and rided him. And he would not look me in the eye and would not look in my direction. But he ruled and, and he arbitrated that game. He led that game. He threw the flags and he made the calls and he consulted with his other groups of referees. And, and in the end, I will say it paid off to be his pastor because my team did win. <laughs> no thanks to him, but we did win really despite him. And Paul says to let this peace arbitrate, to let it rule, to let it ref, to, to let it determine, let it umpire in your heart amidst life's conflicts. To let it decide the peace of Christ, what is right, to let it be your counselor, the peace that comes with giving up responsibility, the peace that comes for the believer who gives up the right to seek to control everything, to let this peace rule in your heart. That spirit of, of peace, Peter alludes to it elsewhere in 1 Peter chapter 3. And he quotes in talking about this peace, he quotes Psalm 34. The one who wants to love life and see good days, let him seek peace and let him pursue that peace because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But he is against those who do what is evil and who seek what is evil. 
Peter in that moment is helping us understand what Paul is referring to in Colossians 3. The peace that comes from following faithfully and and walking after Jesus and letting him be our aim, letting him be our goal, to let that peace, that sense of wholeness, to let it rule our hearts in all things. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of an erosion of relationships, to be humble before him and, and to come together and to be and to let that peace reign over us as we pursue the common cause of the person and the work of Jesus. To let that be the, the one who brings his people together, that be the one that unites his people. I was 29 years old. I was serving as the student minister here at Travis, and God called me away to go serve a church in South Dallas. And I was 29, and I thought I knew everything, and it turns out I didn't know a whole lot. In those first two years, I learned really how much I didn't know when I walked into the pastorate. But I remember when I went for a view of call on, on that day in Ovilla, uh, eight, 10, nine, 10 years ago, and I had a, a senior saint come up to me before the, the vote, and she said, you're 29, and I'm 74. She said, how are you going to pastor me? And I said, well, we haven't gotten off on a very good start, I would say, but let me say this to you. Though you're older than me in age and though you have more life experience than me and though you may see the world quite differently, I'll tell you this, the one thing that you and I both have in common as born again, saved believers, as we have the person and the work of Jesus in common in our life, and that if we orient our life around that common cause and around that common good, that he is worthy of our affection, that he is worthy of our time, that he is worthy of our talent, I, I promise you God will overcome the generations that exist before us. And I went on to say there, there are probably ways in which you and I are going to see things differently from time to time. That we're going to have our, our own preferences and our own wants and, and dreams and, and longings. But if we allow the peace of Jesus to be in our church and we maintain and, and we guard that unity at all costs and, and we don't let our preferences get in the way and we, and we don't let our, our age and, and the generations get in the way. If we would just keep our eyes and our attention and our affections geared towards him then I promise you, I can be your pastor, even though I'm 29. And I said, you don't, don't judge me because I'm 29 and, and I won't judge you because you're 74. And we walked together. About a year and a half later, I got a call from, from that same woman. And she called and asked me if I could come over to the house because her son had been tragically killed. He was my age and, and we knew each other and his life was, was taken by someone else. And, and I went and sat and I was with that family and with others and, and I became that lady's pastor that day. As we sat and, and we talked about the goodness and the mercy of God as God had redeemed her son and called him home. And to this day, I don't miss her birthday. She doesn't miss my birthday. She doesn't miss an anniversary, and, and I don't miss an anniversary with her. Today, we, we are still close friends walking together with our hearts and our attention upon the Lord Jesus. When the peace of Christ rules and reigns in the heart of the believer, 
the unity that comes in the gospel by his spirit, it reigns and rules in all of our hearts. When we keep him as the main thing in our home and in our church and in our families. We seek to be compassionate people, full of mercy, humble people, pursuing him and and walking after him. See, when we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts as a church, we we seek that unity as we practice humility and and we understand when we've been wrong and, and we're willing to have our perspectives changed. But Paul goes on and he doesn't just leave it there to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. He goes on in verse 16 to talk about the peace that comes when we are people that walk in submission to his word. And so he says in verse 16, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, to let the word of Christ dwell in you in you, to overflow with understanding what his word says and how it applies to our hearts and how it applies to our circumstances and and how our job is to not make the word of God relevant for it already is relevant. It's just simply to see it and and to humble ourselves before it so it can change us and, and move us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly to be full of his word. In order to be full of his spirit, we must be a people that are full of his word. And in particular, as he addresses the concerns of the church, and and as we saw in previous weeks, sort of going out of order, as he begins to elaborate on what this is, when he talks about wives and husbands and and children and, and authority and all of those things, all of those things will take care of themselves if we as a people of God, let the word of God dwell deep within our hearts and we walk in a pattern and a rhythm of submission to it. You see, worship for God's people It's this constant rhythm between the revelation that God gives in his word and the response, therefore, of his people. God speaking to us through his word and letting that word dwell richly in us. And then what happens when we understand it and we we seek to know it, it then creates and elicits a response within our hearts. And so God reveals himself in those moments in his word And then we, as a people, we then respond to the revelation that he has given to his people. And so therefore the word of God, it must always be and will always be absolutely central to our worship. Central to our our time together on Sunday mornings, whether it's at nine o'clock or 1115 or in our Espanol service. It's central when we gather for our small groups that we orient our life because God is speaking to his people. He is revealing himself. And then he says, you will then respond to my revelation. And so he says, you let this word dwell in you richly. You teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Where does that wisdom come from? Well, that wisdom comes from his word. It comes from himself. We, we sing psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs and we, we do it with a sense of gladness and, and thankfulness in our hearts that God has spoken to his people. And that we get to hear from him as we eagerly gather, wanting the word of God to to be taught and to brought forth before his people. We we sing those hymns and we sing those songs. You know, this is my father's world is one of my all-time favorite songs. It's actually my mother-in-law's all-time favorite hymn of all time. 
And we remember and we, we sing those songs, not so that they would compete with the word of God, but rather they would complement the word of God. That the song is, is not scripture. Yet the song helps elicit in us thoughts and feelings at times. It, it helps elicit emotional responses, which, which can be good in certain circumstances. God has made us uh, people that can think and process. And he's given us things like logic, but he's also given us emotions. And those songs, oftentimes, they, they elicit those emotions deep within us. It, it brings us back to a, a moment in our life that can be good, but, but what we guard against is the emotionalism that can often exist, the, the fury, if you will, that can come within songs so that we're not being manipulated by those songs. Yet in truth and, and in kindness, when those songs accurately complement the, the word of God, it, it leads us and it helps us to remember truths in his word. My little daughter, Lucy, they're eagerly preparing for our next members meeting where the preschool choir will come before you and, and Lucy will give a concert to her church family. And as far as she's concerned, she's the only one that's gonna be up there. She'll be the only one that's singing. But you ask Lucy to, to sing the song that she's been practicing. You, you couldn't get her to tell you what the teacher taught five minutes ago, but, but she could sing the song that she's been learning. And so when Paul says to sing these songs and these hymns and these spiritual songs, we, we do those things because oftentimes it's easy for us to remember the truth that the song is pointing to. So therefore, our songs must always be truthful and right according to his word. And they must teach us and be accurate theologically in doing those things so that the word of Christ can dwell richly in us. And so the music stirs those emotions, but, but we must remember this, it's never the music that unites us, but it's always the gospel. Too many churches, too often, down the years, have, have made the music the main thing. And friend, I can just tell you, around here, the music is not the main thing. Bill Howe will tell you that. Our elders will tell you that. Jeffrey will tell you that. The music is not the main thing, but rather the main thing is the gospel of Jesus. And we express our music in different ways. In the same way that that 74-year-old beloved saint had preferences and expressed her emotions and feelings is the same way that that young 29-year-old coming in that didn't know come here from Sikkim expressed his own preferences. And, and listen to me, it's okay that, that we have preferences from time to time. We just need to make sure that we don't allow our preferences to get in the way of what God is doing in his word and through his people. And it is okay to, to like things that are different from other people. It's not wrong in the eyes of the Lord and it's not wrong before your church. Music helps us engage our words. It, it is the thing that, that helps rally us around, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is the person and the work of Jesus. And so therefore, rightly before the Lord, guess what? We can have a very traditional worship service. And rightly before the Lord, we can have an extremely contemporary worship service that's geared towards young families and, and college students. And, and we can see them express those things in different ways, just as you express them here today. And it is okay. And it is right in the eyes of the Lord. We can have a service that is entirely in Spanish 
that is communicated in a different way, in a, in a different form than, than you or I would prefer because I don't know about you, but I prefer my worship services in English so I can understand what is going on. But I would never go before Jose and, and our ministers that, that it, it minister in that, in that congregation that's a part of us and say, you must always do it the way that, that I say or, or our elders demand. No, we, we allow that freedom of expression to exist within that context. And friends, it is okay before the Lord. And so Paul says to let that word dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and singing those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts before God. I got hung up on that last statement in verse 16 where he talks about this thankfulness that exists in your hearts when you come before the Lord. When you come before his word to, to worship him and, and your heart needs to be made right by his word and, and by his spirit and, and through his spirit, you know, there are times where when we encounter the word of God, our heart sort of takes upon varying positions from time to time. There are times, if we're honest, we come before the Lord, not with a very thankful heart and not with a very joyful heart. But rather we, we come before the Lord with what I would just simply call a hard heart, that we're calloused and, and caught in our, in our sin. The, the hard-hearted person may be interested in what the word of God says, but, but not in particular to how to apply it and, and to leave here with it in a way that affects any kind of real change. The hard-hearted person comes to church, and, but they forget the sermon or they forget the word of God. And maybe the sermon was, was quite forgettable, but they, they walk off into the parking lot immediately forgetting what God had just said. And, and they become that different person as soon as they exit the campus. This is the hard-hearted person, the, the distracted person that cannot dwell and cannot focus. And, and many times I have found myself here as this hard-hearted person distracted, thinking about other things and concentrating on other things that don't eternally matter. Friend, can I tell you this, that distraction sends more people to hell than doubt does. Distraction before the, the word, distraction before the Lord is, is the very thing. It's, it's why I tell my kids when we come to church, we, we bring our Bibles and, and we want to read from our Bibles and not from our phones. And the reason why we, we don't read the Bible in my house from our phone, not that we're issuing any kind of judgment on there, but it's because we just simply acknowledge how easy it is to then pull up social media or to, or to pull up Safari and to search the internet and, and to look at those things. We are a deeply distracted people. And so when we come before his, his word, we, we humble ourselves before him. We, we seek to not have that hard heart. We, we can also be the, the shallow hearts. The shallow hearted person is the one that, that hears the word, that, that is initially moved by it, but that change and that move, it, it doesn't last very long. It, it, it's there and it exists maybe for a day or two, but then old habits, they, they die hard and, and our flesh is so tempting. And so we walk and we live in, in rhythms of, of doubt. These are the shallow hearts that come, not the thankful hearts and, and the joyful hearts. But then there's also the divided heart that exists often in, in our lives. The divided heart that, 
that sees and hears the word, but, but is caught up in, in their own sin, is caught up in their own doubt, is caught up in their own anger and bitterness. And, and it's this heart that just rightly chooses to, to stew in their sin, to, to stew in their lack of faith, to stew in their conflict. And, and they stay there even when they know what the word has said. To let the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts. And the goal then therefore the, the people of God is that we have the open heart when we come before him. That when we're driving to church, we're, we're praying things like, Lord, would you, would you change my, my heart today according to your word? Would you use my Bible study teacher to, to speak truth into my life that I would be a different person having heard from the word of God? that it would change me, that my, my heart would be open to, to whatever it is that you say, no matter how lousy the sermon might be or how good the sermon might be, that if the word of God is taught, God, would you just simply change me? Would you show me where in my life that I need to grow, where I, where I need to become more Christ-like? And, and so, Father, would you help me persist in, in doing those things? And lastly, I want you to see in verse 17, not just the wholeness of his word, but I want you to see the wholeness of his name. And whatever you do, in word or deed, would you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Would you give thanks to God and the Father through him? In every interaction and in every conflict and every relationship, not just the spiritual ones or the church ones, you, you should be able to rightly say, I am doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do it for him, not that he needs me, but I do it on his behalf because I want to be on mission with him. And so every single thing that I do, you should be able to say, I am doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus. In his name, we go. In his name, we, we serve. In his name, we forgive. In his name, we walk humbly before him amongst our brothers and sisters. In his name, we go into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces. And we seek to see those that are far from God to come to know Christ. In his name, we do these things. Because friend, as we well know, there is no other name worthy to do any of those things. That my name's not great enough and your name's not great enough and the person behind you, their name's not great enough. It is only his name, in his name, whatever you do in word or deed, you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. As you seek to walk in faithfulness before him, as you seek to, to be faithful before him in all things, we do it in his name and everything that we do. And some may say, well, pastor, does that mean that uh, literally everything I must do, I do it in his name. When I sit down, do I, do I say in Jesus name? When I stand up, do I, do I say in Jesus name? Do I, when I paint this wall in my house, do, do I say in Jesus name? And, and the short answer to that is, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All that we do this includes our, our thought lives and, and our emotions and our patterns of, of thinking, the rhythms that exist within our life. Why do we do the things that we do? Well, we, we do them in the name of our God because his name is the only name that is worthy of all our affection, of all of our time, of all our attention. So we do it in his name. We do it in his name. 
And so Paul, he ends this admonishment to whatever you do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. That you let this word of Christ dwell so richly in you. You, you teach one another. You admonish one another. You, you encourage one another. Friends, the challenge this morning for God's people this week is that we would live a life in such a way that, that we are teaching and admonishing based on our behavior, not just with the words that we say, but that how we act and how we live, it matches the very thing that we said. Because remember, connected to verses 15, 16, and 17 is this admonition right before where he talks about in the life of the believer, forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. And I don't know about you, but it is extremely difficult to forgive others when I'm not abiding in Christ and walking in Christ and letting the word of Christ dwell richly in my heart. So Christian, be full of his spirit today. My brothers and my sisters, allow the word of God to dwell richly in you, to think about it, to meditate on it, to study it, to examine it, and then to allow it, the word of God, to examine you and to cut you and to make you bleed and to open you up as you seek the person and the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that in Jesus' name, you have given us forgiveness of sin. That through your son, through repentance of, of our own sin, through faith that, that he was who he says he was and who he claimed to be, Father, we, we call upon that redemption now in this moment. And Father, we pray that we would be a people that is exemplified in this way that you encourage the Colossians to do, that, that whatever we do in word or deed, we would do it in your name. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us this week live on mission before you and before a watching world and that all that we do and say and think and talk about and dwell on, that it would be done according to your word and your goodness and your kindness. We pray these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen.